today is Ash Wednesday, and Lent begins today. So on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano is going to help us get in the right mindset and give us his thoughts and reflections on how we can really have a, a good and holy and productive Lent. So keep your radio here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, or keep us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. If you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on podcast, please be sure to rate us, review us, give us five stars, and help us reach more souls. And check out the Veritas Catholic Network channel on your favorite podcast app to to see more excellent shows from us. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable, from seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities. The reach is broad. The impact is meaningful. For more information, please visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. It's good to see you, my friend, (laughs) even without technical difficulties. (laughs) Yes, Yes, it's good to see you at the beginning of Lent. (laughs) (laughs) You can see that my face is red. (laughs) Yes, and that's not blood pressure either, is it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Oh, my gosh. My favorite time of the year. Favorite time of the year. Lent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you've said yes. that before. Yeah. So yes. so yes. remind people why it's your favorite time of the year. Well, it's a, a, a convergence of many things. On, on just the natural level, you know, the etymology of the word Lent in Old English actually means spring. Hmm. And... And, and is always associated Lent with the coming of spring. Now, this year, of course, Lent is extremely early. So that being the case, then the connection with spring is kind of lost. But ordinarily speaking, when, when Ash Wednesday be- is at the beginning of March, by the time you're in the real thick of Lent, uh, winter gives way to spring. Mm. So that's always a positive thing. But also yes. the focus on uh, the quiet, the reflection, the penance, the discipline. Growing up as a kid, we all had our projects to do in Lent and to be able to make progress in those regards. Plus, we're leading to the Holy Week, to the mysteries of faith, which is certainly the centerpiece of our faith. So it's always been a favorite time for me. And and I, and I think it's also for us, um, for our purposes here today, maybe it would be good if we just kind of spend some time thinking through first what Lent is, then some of the lessons we could draw from it, maybe some reading that you and I could do. Yes. You know, kind of prepare ourselves because we still have, I mean, it, it literally it just started. So this is the time. It's now or never to make th- this period fruitful, right? Mm-hmm. So where does Lent come from? I mean, we talked about the etymology, but it really comes from sacred scripture, right? It is it is Jesus' introduction into his ministry. He spent 40 days in the desert where the devil came at the end to tempt him. And those 40 days in the desert 
where the Lord did not have the comforts of life, basic necessities, chances are not even the food or water you oftentimes needed. So what does that mean other than a complete surrender? You go into the desert and you have to surrender yourself because otherwise you will die. And of course, for the Lord Jesus, it wasn't a question of dying. It's a question of growing, his, his living the intimacy he had with his father, which he's had for all eternity, which when he goes into ministry is something that he will not have the luxury to do because he will be overwhelmed by the people who are around him in their need. Many times the Lord struggled to go pray. Right. Right? Yes. Right. So many times we see this almost as penitential. But I think from the Lord's point of view, it was actually privileged. It was almost like a great time to be able to just be with his father before he, all the demands he knew would come. Yeah. It, it, it's a very different way of looking at Lent from the yeah. Lord's perspective, right? These 40 days, right? But the, there were other figures in the Old Testament that had 40 days in the desert, right? So do you remember? I mean, Moses. Yeah. Right? D right? It was 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain, right? Before he got the Ten Commandments. And then Elijah, wasn't he 40 days walking before he got to Horeb, mm. where he had the, the revelation, right, with God? So it's steeped within our entire, entire history of revelation. But the interesting thing is, if you do the math, depending on how you count, <laughs> you either come up with more than 40 or less than 40 days, right? Have you ever done that, Steve? Kind of like figured out the... I haven't taken the time to count the days, no. But okay. you need to remove the Sundays or something like that? Well, it, it, well, again, because this speaks to the variety of what occurs among Christians with Lent. Not all Christians observe Lent, interestingly. Huh. The vast majority do. But there are like reformed Christians and Calvinists and Anabas some Anabaptists who don't, which I, you know, I find very strange personally, but because I'm Catholic. But <laughs> 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 All right. But one of the ways to count, now let's see if we could get to 40. Okay. If you count from Ash Wednesday to Holy Thursday, not counting the Sundays, you have 38 days. If you count the Sundays, you have 44 days, hmm. right? So we always say the Sundays are not part of the observance of Lent because your disciplines don't count on Sunday, although I do, and most people do. I mean, they don't make that distinction. Yes. All right. So if 38, then somehow if you add Good Friday and Holy Saturday, you get to 40, right? Yes. But they're technically not part of Lent, but they are part of the fast. So if you understand Lent as the time where you are doing, you know, prayer, fasting with abstinence, almsgiving, then the fast does continue past Holy Thursday. So one way to get to 40 is to kind of add on Good Friday and Holy Saturday in the spirit of the days, not that they are in the season because they are not of the season. Uh, our Eastern brothers and sisters um, start Lent on Monday. Huh. Not on Wednesday. Okay. So, for example, I have a very dear friend who's a Maronite. Lent began this past Monday. Aha. Uh -huh. So it's called Ash Monday, not Ash Wednesday. Interesting, interesting, no? That is interesting, yeah. Yeah. 
Another way to count Lent, if you want to go to the 40, if you're really obsessed about numerical meaning here, if you count backwards from Easter Sunday, all the weekdays, regardless, then you get to Ash Wednesday as the 40th day. It's another way to look at it. Anyway, but yeah. <laughs> and of course, the disciplines of Lent vary through history, and they vary among Christian churches too, even within the Catholic Church. So among the Orthodox and some Easterns, they speak of the great fast. Now, what does that mean? I did a little bit of history, and I hope I have this right, but prior to the reforms of the Vatican Council, Right, We all know that abstinence from meat was every Friday, and there was abstinence from meat for Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, all right? and I believe it was at least two of the other days of the week. I have to check my notes to remember what they were. Mm-hmm. It may have been Thursday and Friday, or Friday and Saturday, I don't remember now. And then the tradition came that you would abstain from meat all of Lent, which many Christians did. Right to extend the penitential period, but for the Eastern churches, uh, like for example, my Maronite friend, they observe a fast that does not allow them. All right, to they can only eat from midday, right to when they go to bed, and then from midnight to midday there is no food except necessary liquid, and they do not eat meat and they do not eat dairy in any form, right, during all the days of Lent. Now, quite frankly, I couldn't do that. I could not, I could not observe that without passing out, I think. Because <laughs> in the morning, if I don't eat, I get like really groggy. Isn't that funny? Huh, okay. And maybe it's the 65 years of, pra- of habit, I suppose. But that's really penitential in some ways. Yes. But for us, the ask is far more simple. It's fasting two days, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, and abstaining from meat on all the Fridays of Lent, which is not, objectively speaking, a huge sacrifice. Now, maybe I'm misspeaking or I'm just betraying my own, you know, um, bias here. But given the fact that you look at parts of the world where most people don't have enough food to eat, period, Mm. for us to give up meat or to give up uh, two other full meals two days a year and replace them with small collations just yeah. to make sure you have some nerve. It, it, I mean, it's sacrificial, but it's not like onerous. Yeah. I don't know if you agree or disagree. But. I, I agree. It feels like almost like a, a, a bare minimum requirement. I don't want to use mm-hmm. the word wimpy, but it's like, you're right. It's not, it's not cumbersome. Yeah. It, well, it's not unattainable. That's C- the point. Yes, yes. Right, that's the point. But now you just raised a very interesting question. So if it's the minimum, we won't call it bare minimum. It's the minimum that everyone of a certain age, 18 and above, or 18 to 59 for vast, right? So everyone is obliged to observe. What do you do beyond that, if anything? And again, growing up, it was always a question of a task to accomplish. I'm going to do this. For Jesus, I'm going to do this because I want to do this, which is not a bad motivation when you're 12. Mm -hmm. 
But now that I'm, you know, senior, I was approved for Medicare, by the way. So now I'm officially a senior citizen in March. I got that yesterday. So <laughs> not that everybody needs to know that, but the, everybody does know that now. All right. Uh, but the real question is, what do I need to do or not do to grow in my spiritual relationship with the Lord, to fall ever more deeply in love with the Lord? Mm. Or if I could steal the terminology of the one, if I encounter Christ in opportunities of beauty, truth, and goodness, of those three, which is the one that needs the greatest attention in my life? And what would I do or not do in order to develop that, right? And I think everybody who's listening to the podcast should use the balance of today and perhaps into tomorrow to ask that question. So for example, if I may, in the path of beauty, you could go to a seminar, you could go to a lecture, you could, that's fine. You could go on a pilgrimage, all of that is fine. And I hope everybody does that. But if, if pray, if praying is in the root of beauty, so beauty, one of the paths is praying, then one could ask himself the question, what is it that my prayer life needs to become richer or deeper? And I'll give you an example of what I mean. I struggle many times when I pray to quiet my mind. And, I, and I've said this before because of all the, the things going on in my head. And I'm sure you as a father, as a business person running Veritas, you got a million things going on in your head. Yes. And to expect that you sit down and pray and boom, they're all gone is not realistic. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. <laughs> right? But could it be in Lent that we say to ourselves, okay, then for... 10 minutes or five minutes before I say anything or do it, I'm just going to sit here in quiet. Then you may say, Bishop, oh, come on. What type of sacrifice is that? Well, if you put your timer on for your phone, just as an experiment and sit quietly for 10 minutes, it, it you perceive it to be a very long time. Yes. And you fight the battle of trying to calm your mind so that when you go into prayer, the battle may not be won, but you're not at the thick of it from the beginning. So there is that ability to have already somewhat calmed your mind so that the fruit of what Christ wants to ask of you, you and that's, you could receive, and that's in the path of beauty. Or virtue, if you, if anyone could go online, what are the, 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 uh, the cardinal virtues? Pick one and say, this is going to be my focus for Lent. Hmm. I'm going to become more just or more prudent or more temp temperate, right? Yes. Yep. That, I think, it w makes Lent a true discipline to the benefit of our relationship with the Lord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like um, my interpretation of what you're saying, Excellency, is that we don't sacrifice just for the sake of making a sacrifice. We are sacrificing almost almost emptying so that we can be filled with Christ. And sacrifice by definition, yes, and sacrifice by definition is a negation. Mm -hmm. So we negate ourselves for a greater good. 
a greater positive. So I sacrifice this in my life X so that someone else's life can be benefited or blessed or lifted up or have the resources they need. Or I negate this in my life so that my relationship with the Lord can deepen, become more profound, more loving, more focused, et cetera, et cetera. We don't sacrifice for its own sake. We sacrifice for a greater good. Yes. And it could be for myself, which is not selfish, for others, right? Or ultimately, my relationship with God. It's just simply to adore and worship him. A great, pen, a, a great practice in Lent in the, in the category of prayer is to stop every day with the litany of the things I need. Stop, stop, stop. And just adore the Lord. Just do a litany of things that you're grateful for. Thanksgiving. Because if I don't pray for a person I love today, it doesn't mean that God's going to say, oh, skipped it, you're done. <laughs> right? Because God loves them more than we do. Yeah. But what about thanking him? Right? And I always wonder to myself, if you're in the desert, the very first thing you're going to think about is what you left behind. I could be in my bed. I could be having that glass of water or wine. I could be having that bread and cheese. And I'm here with dust and serpents. But the impulse then in the desert, spiritual, is not to say, I begrudge that. I'm angry. I don't have it. It's to go back and say, I thank you, Lord, for the time of my life I did have it. And please, God, one day I'll have it again. Hmm. Right? Yeah. So this is serious stuff. This really is serious stuff. This is like your spiritual uh, wellness annual checkup. Because now we do the physical wellness checkups. But this really is our spiritual wellness checkup. Yep. Then I have another question to ask you. And this is maybe too personal, so you don't have to answer it. But for those of you who are married, and you are married, do spouses talk to each other about their Lenten resolutions? Yeah, for for us anyway, uh, we do. Um, and I, I like it because um, if, let's say, I'm not doing this this year, but I've done it in the past. If I give up, you know, yelling at the kids, for example, and then something. Oh, they'll be happy. They will be very happy. <laughs> yes. You have you have definitely lifted their lives up. But you know, for example, if um, if I do, if I start to raise my voice one day, then you know, Rula knows what my what my uh, uh, Lenten uh, thing is, and she can kind of mm -hmm. you know prompt me or remind me. So I like I like to have that check with her. Yeah. So I do I do tell her, and she tells me. You know what I wonder is how many couples pick the same thing? It's a curious question. Hmm. They pick the same discipline and support each other in the discipline. Right? Remember a podcast we had about two months ago about a, a couples praying together? Yes. Yep. Wouldn't that be a great Lenten resolution for a couple to say, okay, this may be awkward at the beginning. It's a little bit odd, a little strange. We've never done it before. But why don't we just spend five minutes a day just praying together. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a tremendous thing? Yeah. 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 I I just uh on that note, I just put into our calendars yesterday. We have shared calendars in our family on our phones. Oh, really? And Oh. So I um I put in Lenten family Lenten resolution every night at 8:45 we're going to say the rosary together. We used to do it 
and it's a practice that just has fallen off lately just because of no good reasons, but it has. So we're going to resolve to do that together at 845. We're going to FaceTime my oldest son who's at college and make sure we can try and do that every night. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. Good for you. It will be a great fruit. Good for you. Good for you. Let me ask you, my friend, what's your favorite uh, paraliturgical or um, uh, communal prayer custom in Lent? Like what? Like not mass, of course, because we go right. to mass every Sunday, right? Like, what do you associate Lent with? Do you say this is this I like, this I love, this I fall in love with, this I want to do every day? Um, during Lent. Uh, mm-hmm. gosh, that is a good question. I never thought about it. Um, I mean, I like, I really like Ash Wednesday. And I know in the past you've said that this is the day that the churches are fullest <laughs> in the year. Yeah, good. This is good. But I like it because, um, you know, it's a witness and you can see other Catholics and you know, when I used to work in the city, I would walk down Fifth Avenue or Madison Avenue. I'd be like, oh, wow. Or, you know, look at all these Catholics. Or even in the office. I didn't know you were Catholic. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know you were Catholic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's right. silly, but uh, I really like that. No, no, no. It's a public witness. No, it's not silly at all. It's a public witness. Absolutely. I think for me personally, of all the customs of Lent, the one that I find most endearing are the Stations of the Cross. Oh, Yeah. And the Stations of the Cross, because they're very evocative to me. Very. First of all, not least of which, when they're prayed in church, mm-hmm. it helps you to realize that all four walls of the church are important, not just the front wall. Yes. That we actually walk the parameter of the sacred space. It also lends yourself to understand that we enter into the mystery of the Lord's death and resurrection by walking into the church. It's not just we're watching it at the altar. Mm. It surrounds us, right? Which I think says volumes subliminally, even though you don't have to always raise it to your consciousness, but it's, it, it, it speaks in a deeper level in the heart that I do think is beautiful. Yeah. Plus, to walk, it's like, again, processions are a big thing for me because it involves the body and the body is due for salvation as is the soul and is the, right, as the spirit. So to walk in the church and to sing the stop at Mater, and it's just, it brings back such tremendous memories. And even now as a bishop, I try to do it when I can uh, in different parishes, although with confirmations, it becomes very difficult to do that. But of all the things in Lent, that's certainly... Because then there are other things in Lent which don't resonate as much for me, but others may. Like, for example, there are typically Lenten soup suppers in uh, in parishes, right? Okay, yep. Fish fries. People come to... Fish fries, too. Mm-hmm. But to the soup, it, it again, it's, it's a reminder that, okay, tonight we're not having a normal meal. Tonight we're having donated soup that we've made. And the whole idea is put the equivalent money in a basket so that money could go to a cause to help the, the, the needy, the hungry, the homeless, right? The unemployed, stuff like that. Yes. Yep. Right? 
So that is also, and of course, to be honest, uh, some of the, I've been to a few of them in the diocese, and some of those soups are more hearty than any <laughs> dinner I would eat. You have two bowls of that. You don't have to eat the next day. You don't. <laughs> right. You're you're set. Yep. <laughs> right. So, yeah, and then of course, I remember, and I still, if I were a pastor today, uh, of a church like a particular parish, the custom of veiling statues, I would certainly do it. Yeah, certainly do it. And people say, well, why? Like, why? In the Middle Ages, people forget if the statues couldn't be covered, they would turn them around so that the statue was facing the wall. Oh, wow. And people say, well, that's kind of odd. You know, but there's a citation in John chapter 8, 46 to 59, which, where it says that Jesus hid himself from the people. In effect, the statues are covered in part to remind people to focus in on that which is the focus of our faith, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not that they've disappeared, they haven't, but it's almost they recede into the shadows just for a bit, right? To focus in on the great mystery which binds us together, those who are the saints, those who are the militant church, right? It's all of us together. Yes, yeah. So, um, I'm happy that many of our parishes have resumed the custom. Yes. And it's from the fifth Sunday of Lent to uh, Good Friday. Right. Basically. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when you go into the St. Mary, I think St. Mary's. Yeah, we do. Yes, in Ridgefield. Yes, we do. Yeah. Yeah. So when you go into St. Mary's, when they're covered, isn't there just like a different feel? It it evokes a a specific emotion. Yep. And then- uh, we talked about this in the past too, like the the empty tabernacle on Good Friday. Oh yeah, there's I I'm always surprised every Good Friday. I know it's coming, but the feeling that I get of like sadness at seeing that empty tabernacle on Good Friday. Right, right, right. Exactly, and the simplicity of the church in Lent is also again. Uh, um, in a symbolic way, trying to remind us of the spiritual desert we should be in. Hmm. So the use of flowers, excess candles, uh, triumphant music should all stop. In fact, in some parishes, they've actually gone to uh, unaccompanied singing. Hmm. So there are no instruments at all. The people just, and some, I mean, a lot of the hymns with a leader of song, you we can sing. Yes. Like, I mean, my gosh, holy God, we praise thy name. I think yes, every Catholic, at this point, even <laughs> younger ones should know the, the words, right? I mean, right. But it lends itself, and maybe it's just my personality, but um, I like it. Yeah. I find it to be more prayerful. Yeah. I do. And I like the silence, too. And I think in Lent, one of the things I'm so I'm going to prepare everybody here who's listening. I think I'm going to consciously try to spend at least a couple of minutes asking people to be silent after Holy Communion is finished, mm-hmm. and just be able to recollect who has come to me, Lord. I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. He just entered your roof. Yeah. To be able to spend some time, and Lent is the perfect time to do that. Right. So, 
Uh, let's take a quick break, Excellency, and then we'll come right back and we'll continue this great conversation helping everybody prepare for Lent. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, Excellency, this has been a great, well, so far, overview of, of Lent and, mm-hmm. um, and, and and a dive into how to prepare well. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, let, I'm just going to turn it over to you so you can keep going. You're on a roll. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, Steve? Let's let's take some themes and let's break them open a little bit. So every Lent, on the first Sunday of Lent, we hear of the story of the temptations of that were given to the Lord. Yes. And we've spoken many times about how the fact that the Lord was tempted in a way different from ours, because the Lord did not have disordered desires. Disordered mean desires that are tainted by our selfishness, our concupiscence, right? At times, our lack of faith. Be that as may, they were temptations. So who listening in this podcast, myself included, has not struggled at one time or another in their life with um, desires that would, if unchecked, lead to temptation that, if unchecked, could lead to sin. Whether it is you're angry and you want to let this person have it and you're just about to say it and you're tempted to let him have it or her have it, or, or worse than that, I could give many examples. And therefore, it would be helpful this Lent for us to stop talking in the generic and start talking in the specific with myself on what are the desires of my heart that lead me to Christ and what are the desires that lead me somewhere else and name them. Yes. Actually name them to ourselves. A moment of brutal honesty 
because why do I say this? Is because if we don't name it, we don't control it. If we don't control it, it controls us. And grace will help us to overcome them if we ask for the grace and cooperate with the grace. But it's not going to overrule our free choice. God doesn't do that, right? It doesn't do that. So, just I mean, to be blunt about it, what, my life, your life, anybody who's listening. So right now, what are the desires that are lurking in our hearts that if we gave into them, we would be on the cusp of sitting with the devil saying, okay, I'll make a deal with you. This one I'll take. The other two items, this one I'll take. Right? And where do you land in the end? In the bottom of a ditch. <laughs> Which then reads another question. If you're going to go down that road, and I'm going to invite everyone, myself included, to do this, this Lent, right? The journey of the desires of the heart. That we also have to ask ourselves the question. Many times... We say, well, you know, I was weak, you know, I just, I just gave in, but I mean, all right, so I'm going to try again. And, and that's true. We've all said that. But what are you going to do differently to make sure that the next time yes. it doesn't repeat this time? <laughs> so then we have to talk about this other phenomenon we used to talk about a lot. Periodically, you and I over these years have talked about it. But the occasions of sin. The occasions of sin. And by definition, the occasion of sin is an occasion that, that lends itself for the person involved to be more apt to sin. Now, if I were to put you on the spot and ask you, give me an example of an occasion of sin. What would, what would come to mind? Um... Someone cuts you off on the highway. Okay, and then you let them have it. Right. Mm -hmm. Custody of the eyes. Yes. What are you looking at? Who are you looking at? And how are you looking at them? Right. Can be an occasion of sin. Why do you say that? Oh, Bishop, it sounds like you're from 1950. No, I'm not, actually. Because if, if one of the desires of your heart or mine easily lend themselves to lust. And lust means that you look at a person not for their beauty or for their intrinsic respect, but as an object of gratification. Even though you know don't speak to them, you don't have any dealings with them, you don't have to. But if you or I or any of us in the custody of the eyes don't don't either train ourselves to correct ourselves when we down the path that's objectifying the person, or we're looking where we shouldn't be looking. Yeah. Then of course the temptation is going to come up. I mean, right? And, and and this may sound almost simplistic, but it's actually extraordinarily important in the life of grace because we are weak. We're all weak in different ways. And why would you? Why would you or I put ourselves in a place where we can easily be overwhelmed and our weakness get the best of us by choosing to do that? Why would we do that? So both the desires of the heart and the occasions of sin are something that we, and I, and I would suggest, both have to be looked at. And I would suggest to all of us, you know, Lent is, remember the desert, you look backwards. So let's look back on our lives. 
And perhaps there are sins in your life, my life, maybe a listener's life, that periodically show their ugly head in our lives. Pride, laziness, whatever it is, lust, whatever it is. Well, if that's the case, then just don't acknowledge it, but try to think back, well, what led you to that? What was the occasion? What, what was the setup that led you in your own weakness, as we have them, to fall and, and be tempted and give in to the temptation? And then say, okay, then from now on, I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> this, this requires real honest um, and humble reflection, self-reflection. Listen, it, 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 it requires what I call brutal honesty. And again, I am not suggesting this, that a person takes a, a bat, a spiritual bat, and beats themselves over and over on the head. Not at all. No one loves us more than the Father. And no one has forgiven us absolutely except the Father. Yeah. Through the Son in the Holy Spirit. But I think... It, it, we owe it to our own dignity as Christians and our own relationship with the Lord to be able to do the best we can so that we don't inadvertently or worse, consciously put ourselves in circumstances where we will know, we know we will be tempted and where we know there's a good possibility that we will sin. Right? In the end, that is just playing with fire, and that, I think, is not worth the price. And Lent is the time to look back and, at least in one particular area of weakness, set the parameters straight in a new way. Amen. So that's one. Let's flip the frittata, as we say. Let's flip <laughs> the omelet and go the other way. Okay. There's another thing I'd like to suggest for us to think about. And that is, what about using Lent as an occasion to walk with people who will encourage us, inspire us, motivate us, not simply to avoid evil, but to do good? The other half of the equation. Yes. And you know who I'm referring to. I'm referring to the saints. I'm referring to the army, the, 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 the simply legions of individuals from upon whose shoulders we stand, whose stories are absolutely inspiring, heroic, and accessible. Yeah. And accessible. Because there is no person, there's no point in glamorizing the saints as if they had no faults, because they did. But as real human beings with tremendous grace and virtue and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they did not allow their weaknesses to rule their lives, but gradually overcame them to shine. Yes the heroes of the faith. Wouldn't Lent be a great time to pick up a biography 
or an autobiography of a saint or a book that collates stories of the saints. And instead of using the time simply to say, okay, I'm tempted not to do that, but also to say, but you know, I'm called to greatness. Why can't, why can't there be in a hundred years a chapter on me? Not because it's prideful, but because I give glory to Christ. My life is nothing without him. Any good I do is his. So if I'm remembered for anything that I'm giving glory, so why can't, why can't I do that? Why can't the Holy Spirit use me to do that? Why could I actually dare to hope to become a saint? Isn't that what we're all supposed to become? Yes. Wouldn't that be a great time? to seek some spiritual inspiration and courage and encouragement. Say if, if Cyril of Alexandria did it and he had a wicked temper, right? Why can't I, if I have a temper? Or if you have the example of someone like Francis de Sales, who not only had a temper, but was very impatient and yet look at what he created, right? Yes. Yep. And there are thousands and thousands of saints. There's going to be one that you can relate to. <laughs> right. And again, I have a bias here. I, I, and I, I try to be an open book here. We, um, we emphasize, perhaps overemphasize, the modern day saints. Mm -hmm. and, and perhaps because they're known... You know, we know people who may have even met them. We may have met them, Mother Teresa, for example, St. Teresa of Calcutta. Right. And I'm not suggesting that that's not important. I'm not, not at all. I think it's beautiful. Yes. And if that's where you gain inspiration, tremendous. Do it. But there are 19 centuries before <laughs> that are filled with, just as you said, millions of individuals <laughs> yeah. Yeah. whose stories are astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Yeah. I just completed, I mentioned before, I completed this book on Francis of Assisi and the 28 frescoes that are in the upper basilica of, uh, of St. Francis in Assisi. And I must tell you, it was one, it was three pages a day, right? Father Verdon. I've always had a great love for Francis. Having gone through that, I have an even a deeper love for Francis. And I feel him close to me, even though he lived 800 years ago. There is something so provocative, so enduring, so enticing, so attractive of the profound, clear, uncompromising surrender of Francis that 800 years later, it screams out to me. Imagine how many more there are in the history of the church. Yeah. And you did that three pages a day, Excellency? Yeah. So yeah, that's- It was the fresco and yeah. two pages. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's easy to do. I mean, it's it's workable. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. So I think that's another piece to this, right? That Lent could be a great time to do it. If I may build another idea on top of that, and that is, we, we do more reading than we realize in life. Who is not at one time now scrolling down the news feed on your phone or reading stuff, obviously, from at work or in business or whatever it is? And that's great. 
Yes. It's one of the paths, truth, right? So I wonder to myself, how many people, Christians, Catholics, have the discipline of doing spiritual reading every day? Now, you just intimated something. You know, it's three day, it's three pages. So this is doable. I want you. I want to marry that idea with the spiritual reading. So not so much that we talk about the stories of the saints, which is important, but books about the spiritual life, how to pray, how to discern spirits, right? Um, the different forms of prayer. You could go on and on and on. Many times, I'm and I'm making a presumption here. So those who are listening, you could correct me, please. Send in your in your corrections and the Steve is always <laughs> the Steve. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but I think people at times are put off precisely because it's one more thing to do in very busy lives. So if I'm going to sit down and take a spiritual book, like there's a great book, The Knights of Columbus, just published not long ago. It's translation of a French book on how to pray, right? and the art of praying. And I began to read it on the plane. And when I came back from Florida for my appeal trip, mm -hmm. and it's been now four or five days since I've been back, I haven't picked it up yet because there's 4 million things going on every day. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but that's an excuse on my part. So this is my public confession. Kajano's making an excuse. Stop making excuses. <laughs> right? So you can't read a whole chapter, so read three pages. And then every day, it takes longer, but you get through it. Yeah. And that's one of my Lenten resolutions, is to do exactly that. I don't care how busy I am to do that. So if, you've, if, if you or I or anyone listening says, okay, if, if Jesus appeared and said, I will explain anything of the faith to you, pick one thing, one thing that you want to learn. And you say, okay, I want to learn about the last things and about heaven and hell, or I want to learn about what this purgatory is, or I want to learn about why the church teaches what it teaches about X, Y, and Z, or I want to learn how to pray, or I want to learn how the Eastern Christians pray, or I could go on and on, then make that your spiritual reading for Lent. Right? Yes. Awesome. And do three, I'm doing three, four pages a day. So walk with me. We walk very slow. I don't want to raise my cardiac thing going on here. So <laughs> three, four pages a day. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And I'm even going to challenge our listeners. If you're actually planning to do it, let us know that you're doing it. Tell us what you're going to read. Yeah. Be really curious. Yeah. Right? Do you, do you don't remember off the top of your head the name of that book from the Knights of yeah, Columbus? Yeah, I, I have it right here. I oh, have okay. it right here. Okay. May I grab it? Yeah, yeah, please. Hold yeah. on. Okay, so the book is called How to Pray Every Day, A Practical Method for Everyone. And it's an English translation of a very popular book in French written by the, uh, by the person Laurent Landent, Landente, I guess, L-A-N-D-E-T-E. -E. It's available through the St. John Paul II National Shrine, right? And I read the introduction in the first chapter. Yeah. And the first chapter, guess what the first chapter is? Silence. Mm. Okay. Basic stuff. So, uh, right. Adoration. Right. How to calm one's on. Listening. 
basic skills. Yeah. And to be honest, the chapters are only five pages long. Yeah. So this is one of the rare books you could read in five pages a chapter. Yeah. Yeah, it's something it's, that I think. Yeah, because no, like there's there's like um you could pick up like the fulfillment of all desire by Ralph Martin, which is a spiritual just it's so rich it's you know based on the spirituality of the saints but it's like it's like 600 pages and or you could pick up the book that you just said i can see or like the introduction to the devout life and that's right. broken up into right. just a couple pages at a time exactly 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 another thing if i may since we have the three paths that we've yes. talked about yes um what about for lent for those of us who have not yet had the experience or the training to use music to help us to pray, what about Lent being a time where we could perhaps pick up, or actually now you don't have to pick up anything. You could download it on Pandora, whatever, whatever people get music, mm -hmm. and use that time when we're driving or when we're walking, or when we're exercising, or when we're on the treadmill, and set aside the podcast for now, not ours, of course, but everyone else's <laughs> set aside, <laughs> okay? And allow music to take you to places where you ordinarily would not go with Christ, right? Because music will unlock your feelings in a way that, reading or listening to a podcast may not. And oftentimes they are the block in the spiritual life. So so maybe a little more direction on this because like I like jazz, but it wouldn't be jazz. Could it be Christian pop music or are you talking about like chant or? It could be any of the above. It could okay. even be jazz. It could be any of the above. God speaks in all the mediums, right? It really is where you are in your life. Like for me right now, all right, I was listening to uh, K-Love in, in the car, mm -hmm. and now I listen to Gregorian chant, and now for Lent I will, because I, I want to lower the tenor. I want a I calmer bass line so that I'm more attuned to the, to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But that's what I need. This is not necessarily what everybody needs. Some may actually want the higher tenor, the higher energy. It, it, it all depends. But I think instead of reading, maybe music is something that a person could use to help calm their minds. That's what I, to be honest, if I were to, in fact, I could put it in words now, maybe I, I wouldn't even have done it before, is what I find is when I listen to sacred music, polyphony or chant or piano music that even may be secular, mm -hmm. like George Winston and all that group, that channel on Pandora, it helps me to calm my mind. So then I was thinking, as a variation of what I said before, Another way to do it is instead of sitting 10 minutes in silence before we pray, and therefore those 10 minutes could be a wrestle to say, oh my gosh, I have 10 minutes and I have to get this done because it's become something else. Maybe, and I may even try this actually. Yeah, maybe I will. 10 minutes of silent, quiet chant mm. and then begin prayer. Yeah. In my own room. 
This may sound almost elementary, but the truth is the elementary stuff is stuff that we forget, right? In the in the the kind of life that we live, which is this crazy life to live. Yeah. Well, because our senses also help us get into mm-hmm. certain uh, uh, mindsets and dispositions. Moods. Yes, absolutely. And receptivities, absolutely. Yeah. If I may, uh, for one last idea before yes. we run out of time. Yes. And that is, could Lent be a time for a particular consecration? Right. So Father Calloway's book, Consecration to St. Joseph, mm-hmm. or 30, 33 Days to Morning Glory, right, by mm-hmm. Father Gately. Mm-hmm. Lent is 40 days. Mm-hmm. So you could do a few days of preparation. And could you imagine ending on, let's say, Tuesday or Wednesday of Holy Week with a consecration to Our Lady and then enter into the mysteries of the Lord's death and resurrection? Yeah. Yeah. Louis de Montfort's it, uh, consecration, right? Oh, For, Louis de Montfort's yes. consecration. Absolutely. Yes. And we have we have Joseph's feast and Our Lady's feast in Lent. Aha. Uh-huh. For the March 19th and this year would be moved but the announcement on the 25th of March yes. exactly so they accompany us anyway yeah awesome mm-hmm. great ideas this so do, were you going to say something else actually I was just going to say one other thing and that yes. is yes before we do the right the book that I would recommend everyone to do because I love the fathers is that there is a book published by the Vatican right by the Editrice and it's called Lent and Easter with the Church Fathers. And Lent and Easter with the Church Fathers, every day there's a quotation from one of the fathers, a theme. And, uh, you know, it's relative to Lent or the scripture readings. or, And it is not longer than a single page. Not longer than a single page. Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm picking that up. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I think before we go to the break, Excellency, I want to say, so like, it is so tremendous when we have guests on and you can have a conversation at a very high level with somebody who is an expert on a certain topic. But what you did today, I think, is so valuable and so good for our listeners, you know. And so, I, I don't know. Thank you, I guess. <laughs> well, no, you're welcome. It's good for me, too, because a preacher healed yourself, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, <Exactly>. yes. <laughs> Okay, so let's take our final break and we'll be back on the other side with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Be right back. Father Sam Kachuba is the host of Veritas's newest podcast, Daily Gospel Reflections on Veritas Catholic Network. Every day, Father Sam will give a two-minute gospel reflection based off the daily mass reading so that you can start your day with the gospel. Daily Gospel Reflections on Veritas Catholic Network is now available wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, good question today. And this question has probably been around for 2,000 years. But um, So the listener wrote in and he said, Today was the gospel story of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Ah. So we know that Peter was therefore married. Right. If the first and arguably greatest pope was married, then why mm-hmm. can't current popes or clergy be allowed to marry? Why and how was the tradition of celibacy begun? Well, it's a great question. And I think, uh, Steve, we should take this as one of our topics on a podcast. 
Because okay. it is a very involved question. It's a complicated question. But in the end, the only thing I, w- I would say in response to the question for now is that the celibacy of the clergy is a discipline of the church. It's not a dogmatic teaching of the church, meaning that it's not, it's, it is subject to change as it has already changed. And it is really meant to be a discipline to aid, I think, the priests in their ministry to God's people besides addressing abuses that existed perhaps in the Middle Ages. So can it happen? Can it change? Yes. Right now we have married priests, right? both in the Latin church, in the Eastern churches, in the Orthodox churches. So we, we, we certainly do have them. Um, whether or not it is the time to discuss that as a possibility has varying opinions, but it is a discipline of the church. So therefore it can be changed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Father uh, Cipolla, um, who is a married priest, uh, mm-hmm. wrote a few years ago uh, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about, mm-hmm. um, w- from his perspective, why celibacy is the better way. And it was amazing. And especially coming from him, who, you know, hasn't. Yeah. Um, right. I, I, you know, that, that's... May I, may I make, a, may I yes, make a counterpoint, though? A counterpoint. Not to get too controversial and then we pray and leave, but... Uh, that may be true, but 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 also, uh, married life, when it's lived well, is the greatest antidote to selfishness. Yes. And celibacy can easily be reduced to bachelorhood when selfishness comes in play. Hmm. So, I'm not suggesting that ma- priests should marry to avoid that, but each state of life has its potential liabilities. Yes. Good point. If it's not lived correctly. Good point. Mm-hmm. You know, Excellency, that, that gospel story of Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, mm-hmm. uh, some some people say uh, that um, the fact that Jesus healed his mother-in-law was the reason why Peter denied Jesus three times. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! You said it. I did. Hate mail goes to Steve Lee. <laughs> Uh, let's, uh, you know what, maybe I should just read this. If you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thank you so much. What a great way to kick off uh, Lent for all of us. No, I'm I'm delighted. I always enjoy our conversations anyway, so I'm great. I wish everybody a grace-filled, happy, and joyful Lent. Thank you. And how about a blessing to kick it off too, Excellency? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, you have invited us to enter into the desert in which you will accompany us with your spirit to shed all that hinders us in holiness, to grow in surrender and faith in you. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit bless these days ahead, that we may grow in holiness, charity, faith, and hope. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, my friends, see you next week. 
Thanks, Excellency. All the best, Steve. Take care. 